Did you ever play? Because I thought about this in uh, in high school. The the pants replacement Star Wars line game. There are certain lines in Star Wars, and I can't remember a ton. I don't have a top five. Mm-hmm. But there are certain lines in Star Wars. You just replace one word with the word pants. Okay. So, like, the big example is always, I find you're like a pants disturbing. (laughs) (laughs) Or, um, or from from Jedi, Hannah, get those pants down. We gotta give them more time. (laughs) Oh, I love that. Oh, I'm gonna, I'm gonna play that. I'm gonna have to come up with one of those yeah. for every episode. There, there, there are more. I know there are more, but those are the two that always, always stood out to me. Those are good. I'm going to regret this. I got a bad feeling about this. Hello, what have we here? Red five standing by. This is not rescue. I'm a Jedi. Like my father before me. Everything's perfectly all right now. We're fine. We're all fine here now. Thank you. How are you? Hello, and welcome to Dead Boffin Spies, the official Star Wars-themed podcast of Super Bowl 50, coming next February. I know when you think of Star Wars, you think of football. The two go together like chocolate and... Star Wars. This week, I'll be wrapping up my discussion with Nathaniel Wayne about the special editions. Back in Episode 4, Nathaniel and I talked about George Lucas's continual revisions to Star Wars A New Hope. We agreed that while any changes to the film were unnecessary, there were a few technical improvements made, specifically the upgrading of a couple of visual effects shots. What we disapproved of were the additional scenes Lucas crammed in because they changed the pace, the structure, and even the characters. Today we finish off the classic trilogy with a look at the special editions of The Empire Strikes Back and Return of the Jedi. Will these versions hold up better, worse, or the same as the originals? Listen and find out. It's worse. I'll tell you right off. The special editions are always worse. First thing that we get is we get more Wampa. We do. Which is a eh for me. I don't have any big investment one way or the other. I don't think it hurts anything. I, I think he added the shots. They're short shots. Mm-hmm. They don't kill the pacing the way that whole added scenes did mm-hmm. in in A New Hope. He wanted to show more of the Wampa. Okay, fine. We see more of the Wampa. I don't... I, it's one of those things that I don't really care one way or the other, but it was a big enough change that I, I figure it's worth bringing up. When I was a kid, the Wampa scared me. Mm-hmm. And it's because I couldn't see it. I didn't know what it looked like. It was always off the screen. It's, it's the reason why the alien and why Jaws, because they couldn't make the effect work, so they kept it in shadow so that you couldn't see the whole thing. And I felt like that was an important part. I'm, I'm older, and the thing, same things don't scare me when I see the Wampa now with what they've added. I also I don't know if that would have scared a little kid the same way. I, I, I just don't know how that would have affected me when I was 
uh, when I was a boy. As the father of a little kid who is, and that little kid who is scared by the bumble and the <laughs> Rudolph the Red-Nosed Reindeer, I think that Wampa's going to scare kids either way. Okay. <laughs> well, you know, it's, it's hunking down on a piece of bloody meat. This next one was the first one that even at the time I saw, I'm like, oh, that's a big improvement. They added windows to Cloud City. To Cloud City. Yeah. And it it just made it feel so much less insular. Um, and sort of on that same note, when Lando has his thing over the PA system, the, the Empire's taking control mm -hmm. of the city and tells people to evacuate, mm -hmm. they add some reaction shots from yes. people, which makes it seem, be, it seem bigger because it had kind of suffered from the same problem Moss Eisley had, which is that we're told it's a big place, but we see so little of it, right. Right. Um, which, which was obviously a budgetary issue. So I think the addition of replacing some walls with windows mm -hmm. and giving us some reaction shots so it feels more populated. Yeah. Um, and also because in both cases, these are just slight alterations or just changing a shot but not altering the pacing of the scene in any way. Mm -hmm. Now... Cloud City, this is this is an area where I could make the case that they could have done they could have added a little bit more to some of these sequences. And again, the, the pacing is so tight that I I, I wouldn't want to throw that off. But the whole Lando you just mentioned it, Lando's whole shtick about grabbing the PA and just saying the Empire's taking control of the city. I advise everyone to evacuate before more Imperial troops come. And then we don't really we do now we do see kind of their reaction. I never thought that it was just kind of a throwaway scene. I always really liked that moment for Lando because I interpreted that what he's doing is he's causing the whole city to evacuate so that the Millennium Falcon can slip out in the crowd. If there's a Star Destroyer hanging around that's waiting for one ship to fly away, they're going to get caught. But if all of a sudden a thousand ships start leaving Cloud City at the same time, it's going to be a lot harder for them to track the Millennium Falcon. And then when Leia tells them that we've got to go back because she's getting a psychic call from Luke, then they're like, what are you talking about? We've already escaped. We're, we're this close to getting away. Now we're, you're going to ruin the distraction that we just gave them. And that's why they have to shoot. So That's interesting because I, I never even thought of that angle for him. Yeah, that's that's that. the I that was sort of unless I mean he could have been think altruistically and just not wanting the people that he was taking care of to be trapped under the emperor emperor's control. Well, I mean, which I, that would also make sense. But I I, I kind of I per, and I'm not arguing against what you're saying. I but that version is kind of always what I went with. Just this idea of before he was more or less okay with dealing with the empire completely behind the backs of these people. Mm -hmm. And now he's, he, as part of his sort of realization, like, this is not worth it. This is, this is his equivalent of saving them the same as he's yeah. saving everybody else. But I, that's not me saying that what you, your take on that is invalid. It's just not one I hadn't considered. I think they could both work. I, I don't think they're mutually exclusive. Yeah. Um, but I always, I liked the idea that it's him being smart enough to realize we need, we need some cover to get out of here. Because there's no way the Falcon should have been able to get past a Star Destroyer without a hyperdrive. And I thought that that would have been a, a clever thing. So if they could have somehow added a, a shot or two of like the, of the ships or like the Star Destroyer, like the scanning crew, just like, oh my gosh, my radar just exploded. <laughs> ship. Like the whole, the whole city's about to like explode or something. Everyone's leaving. Something like that. 
Oh, you just that, that's a special edition that I wouldn't have minded, but yeah, I, I also I love the whole last half hour of that movie so much. It's so I, I, you just made me think. How how well do you know uh, the third Die Hard movie? Simon tells them that that the radio detonators they get messed up by police wave band and so, so they, and, and so all the calls have to have to go through the phone center and then later he says over the radio that there's a bomb in the school and they're not telling everybody you see this, this, poor, this poor woman in this call center half the damn city just called nine one one that's yes that is essentially the reaction that I would like to see on a star destroyer of basically when they're evacuating Boston <laughs> that type of thing yeah absolutely. Um, what do we got? Ah, I'm not going to go through them, but there there was more just additional exposition lines tossed in there that we didn't there's, need. There's a the weirdest one that always really bothered me was after Luke has dropped down after the big reveal and Vader is walking away. The original line was "Bring me my shuttle." Yeah. The special edition they changed it to. Alert my star alert, destroyer. Alert my star destroyer of my arrival, or something yeah. to that effect. Like, I, there's just no reason to change that line. Like I don't, I, nothing was confusing about bring me my shuttle. I know where you're going and what <laughs> you're doing. And then yeah. they used B-roll from the beginning of Return of the Jedi and inserted that in. So now it looks like he's landing in the star destroyer. But again, unnecessary shot. We know where he's going. We there's there's nothing in his way. He has no obstacles. Traffic's clear. We know he's going to get there. Just get there. And you know, just sort of coming back to Lucas not being the same guy. If you watch the making of thing, I remember the actors, I, it was Carrie Fisher specifically, saying, you know, I always said with, with that first movie that George, as a director, all he needed was two different horns. One would say faster, one would say more, more intense. intense. Yeah. That was basically the only directions he ever did. And that George Lucas is not the one that right. is still around. He's not about making it faster, quicker, tighter. Right. Um, but the, okay, here's our first one that was a change that was done on the later 2004 DVD release, mm-hmm. but was not a change in the 97, which is the updating of the Emperor's Hologram. Because in the original version, it was a very sort of fuzzy... I mean, it, what it was, it was Rick Baker's wife with a couple of prosthetics dubbed, dubbed with a random gravelly voice. They, they like, superimposed, like, monkey eyes. Ape eyes, yeah. yeah. yeah, yeah. But, it, it was, but, I mean, it was a, you mm-hmm. know, it was a, right. it was a fuzzy hologram. Right. You didn't get a good look. But they replaced it with a much more clearer yeah. um, Ian McDermott? Yeah, yeah. Um, and actually had him do the lines as opposed to the original just generic dubbed in yeah. raspy voice that was right. done before. And this is one that again I'm kind of eh, I don't really carry the way. The, my nostalgia mm-hmm. doesn't like it because I'm I'm someone who especially when I was a kid mm-hmm. when there was a movie I liked mm-hmm. I watched it to death mm-hmm. and I could recite it and memorize it and every moment I know mm-hmm. by heart. So when you change that it just it just tweaks me and I'm like mm-hmm. it's not right now. But if I set that aside, I think it's a wash. Yeah. I mean, it's it's a continuity correction in terms of the prequels. I don't think it, the performance is any better or worse than what it was before. I don't think visually it's any better or worse. It's just different. And as someone who grew up on an older version, I don't like it. But mm-hmm. trying to look at it objectively, it's a lateral move. Yeah. I think I would have been okay with it if they had 
redubbed the voice and just used Ian McDermott's voice and kept the original hologram effect. Mm. I probably even would have been okay with it if they used the new hologram. You know, I don't like the way they ended up making his his makeup look at the end of Revenge of the Sith. And yeah. one, he he looked fat and puffy and bloated, like the opposite of what he looked like in the Emperor. And part of that is just the actor is different. The actor is yeah. thirty years older, or whatever. But well, this is just but what. But what killed me was that they changed that dialogue. Mm. They changed the dialogue, and now it's like beating you over the head with foreshadowing that, hey, I'm mentioning the word Skywalker, and I'm even saying, like, yeah, this this kid who we're looking for is the son of Anakin Skywalker. Nobody in this room is Anakin Skywalker, <laughs> right? <laughs> it's, like, I was just listening to that, I was like... You're, you're giving the game away, dude. You're, you're going to take away the punch of this. But... Well, I mean, and, and this gets into, you know, when you did your, your prequels podcast, you, you brought this up. Part of the problem with the prequels is, is giving that stuff away. But in terms of the change, it was obviously a change made to bring it in better continuity with the prequels. So if you look at it from that standpoint, it just is what it is. Um Next one, and sort of coming back to the now it just sounds wrong to me and therefore I hate it, uh, redubbed Boba Fett. Yes. Which I, I, again, I understand part of that is just my nostalgia, Mm -hmm. but I also think the performance is just not as good. I agree. And I, I think the guy's got an Australian accent. I don't know what it is, but this slight accent is nowhere near as cool, as mysterious, or as intimidating as that rasp that the original voice work had. And I knew it with his first line. Yeah. The first line, as you as wish. As you wish, yeah. The, yeah. First, the first time, and God, I'm killing myself because I can't think of the voice actor's name, the original one. Uh, that that and, I don't uh, know. I'll, edit, I'll fix this in post. Jason Wingreen. Um, but the voice actor's name, the, when he first gave the line as you wish it's like dripping with vague like barely concealed sarcasm and you just know that there's something in their history no disintegration as you wish this is not their first encounter yeah, yeah. but the set like the redone the Tamura Morrison I think is the guy's name who played Jango Fett and they, they redid all the Boba Fett's voice with him his, his reading of the line is as you wish and it sounds like a soldier like obeying orders yeah. from like a commanding officer. As you wish. Nope, that is not what Boba Fett says to Darth Vader. It's besides the fact, just logistically, I reject the reason for doing it in the first place. Like, okay, fine. So it's his clone, but he's had his own life, his own thing. Yeah. There's no reason for him to sound exactly the same, especially given that that original voice had that rasp. Yeah. It had the quality of something like this guy's been through something that made his voice like that. And there's no reason for that to not still be the case. And I don't think even the most ardent continuity hounds were going, oh, his voice, he should sound like Django Fett because he's nobody was saying that. So it's a continuity correction that nobody wanted. I this, oh, I just I don't even want to go down this tangent, but I just like when I was watching Attack of the Clones, I was like, why is he a clone of his dad? Like, <laughs> why didn't he? Why couldn't he just have a son? Why does it have to be a special clone that was grown slower to be more like Jango Fat? You can get laid with whoever you want. You're a pretty cool looking. Just have guy. a kid. Yeah. So, what? He's no good to me, Dad. He's no good to me, 
did. And now we get to what was, for me, a, a really jarring yeah. change, which thankfully was removed from the 2004 release on. Mm-hmm. And that was Luke screaming as he fell down that shaft. Yes. Which just makes no sense because he didn't fall by accident. He wasn't pushed. He let go. He's doing this voluntarily. Why would he be screaming? It's, it makes no sense. It's jarring and it breaks up the moment because there's that original moment. There's just, just the fact that all you can do is watch him fall just gives you the time for that to sink in of, oh my god! This is my hero. This is the main character. What's happening? Yeah. Like, if he was going to scream, then he should have at least been screaming, oh my god, I thought it was a matte painting ten feet under me. <laughs> <laughs> Boy, that kind of hype really messes up your perspective! <laughs> Oh, but, the, but thank the wind on my freshly cauterized wound really hurts. At least that one. Even it, I don't think he's publicly said anything about it, but clearly even Lucas realized that was a stupid addition. He got rid of it when they, when they did the DVD release. It also just sounded bad. It was like a bad scream. Well, it was it was clearly looped. It was yes, it was yes, it yes. was some audio. God, I mean, uh, Mark Hamill does not sound the same now as he did then. Right, sure. And so they didn't bring him in to do this. They obviously took a some sample archive of Mark Hamill yelling, <laughs> but that fall goes on for so long that they just had to loop it. Mm-hmm. And it just sounds weird. Yeah. <laughs> Which brings us to Return of the Jedi, which I, I actually have the fewest entries for. Not that it had the fewest changes, but it has the fewest ones that I think are worth talking about. Though, annoyingly, none of these fall under my yay. I've got these subcategories. <laughs> yay, boo, and meh. <laughs> I've got three mehs and two boos. i got no yays on this one, unfortunately. So, starting out with Jabba's Palace and a much bigger musical number. Jedi rocks. <laughs> this this one for me is a mess because honestly, I don't think there is anything wrong with making the musical number any bigger. I think I think this is a case where truly, if he'd had the technology, if the puppetry had been up to it, he would have made the musical number bigger at the time he made the movie. I actually honestly believe that argument in this case. Is it necessary? No. Does it add anything? No. Honestly, though, it is kind of fun. And, you know, we're, we're, we're at the graphics don't hold up thing that we keep bumping up against. But aside Slice from that... Slice Noodles looks terrible. Well, she does. But, I mean, you know, that's it's the same thing that we've been over. We've got... Although, to be fair, her practical version didn't look great either. I mean, I, th- I think it was a design that just... It's a design that probably looked great as a drawing. Yeah. Trying to realize that in any yeah. way, I think... I think that's probably where they fell down, but it's actually a pretty fun little number, and I I actually kind of my foot taps. I'm not I'm not going to deny it, but it, does it add anything to the experience? No, not really. Yeah, it was one of those things where I always liked the music for the first one, and when they they redid it 
I like I was like, okay, if you're gonna make it bigger, don't rewrite the song. Kind of like keep the same melody. It was it was catchy or whatever. You don't have to make it a duet with this other little, little fuzzball. Whatever. Yeah, this, For this fuzzball with a huge mouth. He was like that thing from from the Dark Crystal. Yeah, exactly. It's just, it's, it's just this little fuzzball until it goes. Ah! It seemed like an early concept drawing for the Ewok before they <laughs> before they settled on what they did. I don't mind the number being extended. I don't mind that they actually got the woman who played Ula, the dancer, and refilmed the shot of her actually landing in the Rancor pit. Mm-hmm. Because you still don't see the Rancor, so I'm okay yeah. with just getting that little reaction of her before she dies. Now, here's a question. I meant to go back and actually check. Mm-hmm. Um, did they correct her boob popping out of that dress? Because I don't think they did. I hope not. I haven't... <laughs> I mean, you, you, you can't... You, even as a kid, you couldn't really tell because, I mean, she's completely painted, right, so right, you, right. you can't see nipple. Right. But th- there, is a, there is a definite jiggle out that, is, that yeah. pops out of that dress that I, yeah. I remember as being a formative part of my childhood. Right, exactly. <laughs> Gosh, if, if we've thought about it, I'm sure somebody who worked on that thought about it and they might have corrected it, but I don't know. So there's that. Uh, we have a we have a much more lively Sarlacc. Yeah. Which is another meh for me. Um, I mean, just you know, obviously I'd grown up with the toothed vagina pit. <laughs> <laughs> That's that that was my childhood. But I mean, adding a beak, adding a couple a couple more. I think the beak was a little much. I think live livening up the tentacles was not a bad thing. I think the beak was a step too far, but again, for me, it's a wash. What bothered me was just the functionality of it. I thought if you had the beak with the mouth kind of popping up, you didn't need like the spiked vagina-ness of the rest of it. <laughs> well, yeah, because like it, it was like... kind of designed like you can't climb back up. Right. Because right. you've got the inward-facing yeah. spikes. Like the didn't... beak does sort of like eliminate the You kind the of necessary. needed one or the other. If you were yeah. going to change it, you needed to sort of like wipe out the whole pit area at the bottom and just sort of tweak that whole thing so we couldn't see yeah. what used to be there at all. Um, it's yeah, I, I, it was something I felt like there was never anything wrong with the Sarlacc pit that no. needed to be. In some cases, I thought it was a little bit. Again, going back to childhood, I thought it was a little bit scarier. This idea that it's just this thing that you could trip and fall into, like it didn't necessarily have like a a predatory kind of sentience. It was almost just like a Venus flytrap. You just kind of wandered too close to it and you were pulled in. But. Mm. Next one I've got is actually we kind of skip the whole middle section and we go right to uh, we got no more Ewok dance. Yeah. And instead we have sort of the galactic celebration which is sort of twofold. I think I think in 97 it just didn't work partic- particularly. I mean I, I will grant there's a certain cheesiness to the Ewok dance. I won't deny that. But you just you just Killed the emperor and blew up the second Death Star. What are you gonna do? You're gonna have a friggin' party. Woo! Yeah, and in the and night- also like why why deny the cheese element that you've had for the last hour with these <laughs> characters anyway? Yeah. So, um, so I, I think the '97 version didn't particularly work. I think when they did the 2004, it works a little better mm-hmm. because and aside from just showing for. for from our perspective, random planets that we have no context for celebrating the death right. of the Empire, we see Naboo, we see Coruscant, we see, you know, 
planets that yep. we now have context and it makes sense for. And so it works better. My personal preference is still for the original version, but I think there's a validity to the 2004 version of of that sort of galactic celebration. It does it does seem to celebrate the momentousness of this. I get yeah. what they were trying to do that when you when you look at the context of the entire trilogy or the entire six film saga that Ewok celebration like dance party at the end. It's a little small. It is. Exactly. It feels very small, but seeing the planets and seeing everybody sort of responding to this change in the galactic norm does feel much bigger and more important. I've always heard the the argument that it's like, well, these planets wouldn't have heard about it right away. No, I always assumed that we were we're flashing forward a little bit. That these they're not celebrating at the same time. It's not like the ball dropping across, <laughs> you know, the whole the whole planet. I was like, no, these some of these might be years in the future and I, like, I don't I don't think Coruscant is going to respond like this <laughs> the same way. Because why would they? Yeah. So. Um then we get to, this was a 2004 okay. um, edition. This was not in the 97 special edition, which is uh, the um, Hayden Christensen Anakin Ghost. Oh, I forgot about that one. <laughs> <laughs> which, um, which sort of brings back a little bit like updating the... The, the emperor, emperor in, yeah. in Empire. You know, it's a continuity correction, except that... <laughs> I re- it wasn't. It doesn't. Nothing wrong with it. That well, not only was there nothing wrong with it. This time, it doesn't even make sense. Right. Like, it was unnecessary when they did the continuity update for the Emperor in mm-hmm. Empire. But I could at least go fine. Yep. Whatever. This time, it's like, well, Obi Wan didn't suddenly turn into young Obi Wan. Right. Why not, is Anakin suddenly young yeah, Anakin? Not replacing him with Ewan McGregor. Why is? Anakin looking like he was back then, wearing an outfit that he never wore in the prequel films. Yeah, I mean it just it it just makes no sense, and it it, it actually it comes back to the same thing I said about the do-backs. It's like you you pick something that you decided you wanted to do with no consideration for the implications of any of it, because on its face it makes no sense. <laughs> and then the last one. Which was the the last change that um, George Lucas did, and it felt like one more time. It, it, at this point, it almost felt like he was fan baiting. At this point, it, it felt like he was trolling the fans and going, "Let me just piss him off one more time before I sell the rights." And for the Blu-ray edition, Darth Vader, right right before he picks up the Emperor to throw him, goes, "No." <laughs> Are you serious? Is that in the blue? Yes. Are you serious? Yes. What had been before, what had originally been, he's watching the Emperor torture Luke, and he's just looking from Luke to the Emperor. Luke to the Emperor. And what originally, he just has this moment, and it's time... Talking original cut, it's timed perfectly with a breathe-in. He has this slight rear back on the inhale, and he lunges at the Emperor, picks him up, and throws him, and it's it's amazing, really, because it's a static mask, but you are getting the conflict. Mm -hmm. In the Blu-ray edition, after the looking back and forth, he goes, no. Turns to the Emperor, no! And it is literally the exact same no from Revenge of the Sith. They reused it.
I wish wow. I wish there was video so that your face could be captured. I oh 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 I'm filled with so much hate right now. <laughs> well, the dark side is just. I think if I heard about that, I would break the Blu-ray. I would like snap the disc. Have you heard about this? No, I just heard. <laughs> Oh my god, like, you're pranking me, right? I am not pranking you. I'm going you to can, this you can, check you it can find it. It's a real thing. Oh. <laughs> oh, thank god he, he sold the rights. <laughs> and donated the money. Oh god. That is... I never heard about that. Oh, you totally harsh my melon. <laughs> okay, how are you... Any any sort of closing or last thoughts um, about the special editions? I mean, I mean the, is there here here's here's the positive outlook mm-hmm. at the special editions. In addition to what you just said, which is that I I have no doubt Disney will give us the original version, so we will have it again. But in addition to that, I think the extent to which George Lucas went over the cliff on this. Mm-hmm. And the extent of the backlash he got for doing so, mm-hmm. I think, has dissuaded people who might otherwise be trying this same thing. Maybe not all of them. I mean, Spielberg dabbled in it slightly with E.T., but since then, even he has said, no, that was a bad idea. And at least he had the dignity when he released it on the DVD. There was the new version and the old version together. Mm-hmm. So, if nothing else... All of this seems to have been an abject lesson for everybody else. This is how you don't do this stuff. Right. So th- there's your, and and now you know, and knowing is half the battle moment out of all this pain. Yeah. I think I think the idea behind it was fine, was, was valid. He wanted to make some honest uh, corrections. He wanted to treat the fans to things they hadn't seen before and maybe just to experiment with the technology as a sort of prelude to what he thought he could do with the prequels. Yeah. Because I think at that point he was tra- I think he was probably approaching this to see what can I do with the effects and is this going to be worth my time to try and do episodes one, two, and three. Mm. Um, I think he used this as a sort of test balloon. All of that I'm fine with if they were released as the alternate director's cut. What what angers me, and I think what aggravates a lot of fans is, and you brought this up, was the insistence that, no, this is the real movie. Everything else, everything that you thought you knew, you're wrong. And you're wrong to like those because they're somehow invalid. These are the special ones. What you thought isn't special. What you, you're not special. Your childhood <laughs> wasn't special. This is the real thing. And that's... If you're fighting nostalgia, you're never going to win. <laughs> no. So. You know what it occurred to me? The extent that nostalgia can, just raw nostalgia can tell you is when my, uh, Laura bought for me a while back, and I've been very slowly working through it, the complete real Ghostbusters cartoon. Yeah, yeah. Now, I had a number of those episodes on VHS because my grandmother would tape them and edit out the commercials because mm-hmm. she's a saint um, and send them to me because I, I, didn't, I didn't get TV. Mm-hmm. Um, and 
something that I, I think very few people, aside from me, even realize this. But when they replaced Lorenzo Music, who had been doing the voice of Peter Venkman, okay. who was famously also the voice for Garfield in the yeah, animated yeah, yeah. Garfield yeah. song, he, he was the voice of Venkman for the first what is technically considered to be the first season or first two seasons they were broken up in a weird way he got replaced by Dave Coulier who took over as Venkman Mm -hmm. something that they did and again I don't think anybody but me realizes this when after they did that when they aired episodes Mm -hmm. that Lorenzo Music had done they had Dave Coulier redub the dialogue Mm. So I had a number of episodes on VHS that I saw repeatedly and memorized mm-hmm. with Dave Coulier doing these lines. And then I got the the complete set on DVD, which has the original versions. And hearing Lorenzo Music's version, and I and objectively, I like Lorenzo Music better mm-hmm. as Peter Venkman than I like Dave Coulier. His delivery is just this easygoing sarcasm, which yep. is the same thing that Bill Murray has, yep. whereas Dave Coulier, you feel like there should be a, a rim shot after every line he says. There ought to be... Right. So I know Lorenzo Music is better, but I watch those episodes that I memorized with Dave Coulier's version, and they still sound wrong, even though I know... If I was listening to them both for the first time, I would prefer Lorenzo <laughs> Music's work. I know that for a fact, but it still sounds wrong. <laughs> that to me really became in a, captured in a moment. That's the power of nostalgia right there. Permission granted to land on platform 327. Thank you very much for being a part of this, Nathaniel Wayne. Uh, where can people find you online? People can find me online on both uh, Twitter and YouTube under Council of Geeks. Twitter, it's obviously altogether one word. YouTube, you separate them out, do a search, and you will find me in my ramblings all over the place. I hope you enjoyed the sound of my dog shaking her collar next to the recorder throughout this show. I think it added an ominous bit of atmosphere, like the wampa roaring in the background of the ice cave. Besides that, there isn't much of a summation this time because I don't have any real thoughts about the special editions that I didn't mention in my talk with Nathaniel or in the closing of episode 4. I have one piece of listener feedback to address. Last episode, you heard Rob Kelly join the show for a review of Star Wars Episode One, the new comic from Marvel. Rob runs the Aquaman Shrine, a blog devoted to DC Comics' Aquaman, and he's one of the co-hosts of the Fire and Water podcast. Rob submitted the first iTunes review of Dead Both and Spies, wherein he gave the show five stars, which is probably one and a half more than it deserves, but thanks anyway. The review begins with the title, Does the World Need Another Star Wars Podcast? And he goes on to answer that question. The answer is probably not, but if the show is as entertaining as Dead Both and Spies, then yes. With episode 7 coming soon, I have been gobbling up all Star Wars podcasts, new and old. A recent episode of DBS covering the prequels actually made me see the films in a new way, thanks to the informed commentary of the host and guest. That's an amazing thing for any podcast to do, and I am now a devoted listener. I look forward to following the show as we get closer and closer to the galaxy-shaking event that is The Force Awakens. Take a listen, Star Wars fans. Thank you for the kind words, Rob. If this show has the ability to affect anyone's feelings about Star Wars, positively or negatively, I am thrilled to have that kind of power. That's all for now. 
If you enjoyed this episode, you can leave me feedback by posting a comment on the show's blog page at deadbothandspies.blogspot.com or the Facebook page at facebook.com backslash deadbothandspies. You can also leave a review of the show on iTunes. Any comments left on the blog or Facebook page or iTunes may be read aloud by me in an upcoming episode, so let me know if you don't want your name and message read on the air. You can also find me on Twitter using the handle at RyanDaily01 or the username Count Druncula. Dead Bath and Spies is not affiliated with Lucasfilm or Walt Disney Company, and the views expressed on this show are solely the opinion of the speaker. All music and audio clips are used for entertainment purposes and are believed covered under fair use, and I make no money from this podcast, so no copyright infringement is intended. Thank you for listening, and until next time, may the Force speak to you in the raspy, modulated voice of Jason Wingreen, not the stupid, modulated voice of Tamura Morrison.